Ready? Born ready. Sir Ramal got you. Sir Ramal got you. Sir Ramal got you. Your favorite political podcast, Where the Party At? I'm your host, Sava Long. We are almost at the end of the legislative session, and it has been a lot, a lot. So I'm going to highlight three bills that I think y'all should be paying attention to, or three topics that include legislation, I should say. So one of them that went from flatlining to, you know, maybe a jolt of the defibrillator and it has some life again is sports betting. So a group of elected officials want to allow sports betting for college and professional games. 22% of the income from sports betting would go to fund the Hope Scholarship and Pre-K. What's interesting about this bill is that sports betting would only be allowed on debit cards and not on credit cards. And the idea behind that is that to try to stop folks from going into debt for, um, for betting, um, a couple of other things, this would be administered by the Georgia lottery. So just like you go buy a lottery ticket now, this would be done by the lottery and not by outside organizations. And then, as I said, it would fund, uh, pre-K and then college scholarships. So there would be 16 sports licensed sports books, each offering bets online to folks 21 and older, and you have to be physically present in the state. I'm not clear on how they are going to prove that you're physically present because you could have a Georgia driver's license and still live in, you know, be in another state at the time of the bet or be temporarily living in another state. It would also reserve um, license for each of Atlanta major sports teams. So the Braves, the Hawks, the Falcons, Atlanta United, and the Dream. And then it would also give a license for the Masters Golf Tournament, the PGA, that's the Professional Golfers Association, and then the Atlanta Motor Speedway. And then the last thing is that there would also be licensing for betting firms like DraftKings and FanDuel. So FanDuel, those are both very popular. So sports betting is legal already in 33 states. And it's on the way to being operational, meaning that it's legal, but they just haven't finished setting things up uh, for Florida, Maine, and Nebraska. In addition to Georgia, there are nine, eight other states that have active legislation or ballot initiatives to make sports betting legal. Uh, One interesting thing is that the sports betting in Georgia is not tied to a a specific location. It's online. Um, I think because of that, it's going to be massive. I'm I'm curious your thoughts on this, Keith, your guy. Um, My assumption on this is that sports gambling is male-dominated. And then I'm also interested, I think that the marketing of this is going to skew younger. Uh, maybe like mid. I, I don't think the marketing is like twenties, thirties, forties. Oh, that's younger. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't see like 
60 something year old yeah, man. You're right. yeah it, it'll be like 20 30s 40s yeah. uh youtube a lot of podcasts promote sports betting like that's their mm-hmm. ads and stuff um and yeah it will be male male driven because that's i've I really don't know any women who even talk about who who even play fantasy sports. Yeah. So yeah, it starts with fantasy sports and it gets you to fan betting. So right. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm excited. I'm ready. So this kind of gives me vibes of I don't know if you remember Wall Street Bets, the um Reddit account that mm, yeah. during the pandemic they were all like wagering on okay which stock to buy and there was a whole GameStop drama. And people, like, some people made a ton of money and some people lost a ton of money. I'm mm-hmm. talking about young, you know, people in their 20s, mostly men. I, I just wonder hey, what, what's going to happen here. The only thing I'm wondering is, will there be more game rigging? Because yeah, that's a Yeah, that's another thing is the ethics behind this. Mm-hmm. So, so to that point, you know, you think about what's the impact on college athletes. Yeah. So if folks have put money behind games and then the game does not go the way, you know, the athlete, the team hoped that it went, mm-hmm. you're going to be coming for me because I lost and you, I lost the game and you lost a ton of money. Who knows if I got your brother somewhere and you better throw this game for me. It, yeah. it, so it will lead to some of that, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but overall, it's already legal in 33 states, and we haven't heard any, like, crazy stories about it yet. So, you know, I, from what I've heard from sports betting, it's actually been kind of beneficial because it's for people who don't want to, quote-unquote, gamble with stocks, mm-hmm. have a more calculated and surefire way to, quote-unquote, lose their money. See, when they did it with the GameStop stocks, they really didn't know what stocks were. They were just kind of following a wave. People who do sports betting, they actually kind of break down. The, like my brother. Mm-hmm. He knows all the stats. So he'll tell you, I don't care what you're saying. I'm voting. I'm putting yeah. my money down on Patrick Mahomes. He's going to win this Super Bowl. And then he did. Mm-hmm. So my brother won. But it's still a luck of the draw. Like, no matter how, you know, how much you think you know about the sport, about the players, about the coaching ability, it's not like you're going to win every single time. No, nah, but like I said. You're lucky if you win – 50 you're very really lucky if you win 50 percent of the time yeah but my psychologically i can lose my money if i calculated not mm-hmm. if i don't know not if the market calculated it exactly got it so one other thing i just want to mention about the ethics around this there's three schools of thought here one is utilitarianism which means you know you say gambling is acceptable because it causes more good than harm right the 20 something percent of the money is going to fund education. Another thought is deontology, which is says gambling is wrong because it goes against the government's duty to promote social welfare. Right. And then the third school of thought is virtue ethics, which says we promote virtue and avoid vice so therefore, gambling is morally okay because it helps you develop self-control. So I think lawmakers are are looking at this through those three lenses and figuring out what to do. And there's also the religious overlay of a number of people, we are in the Bible Belt, who just don't feel that gambling, period, should be legal and it's morally uh, bankrupt. So that's gambling. 
another one on the complete end of the spectrum is the anti-riot bills. This is so fascinating to me. So there are three bills that were introduced really in response to the Cop City protests, and I'd say maybe in some part in response to the George Floyd protests from 2020. Uh, so the first is House Bill 505. It would increase rioting from a misdemeanor to a felony, punishable by up to 20 years in prison. Now, currently in Georgia, a misdemeanor carries a sentence of up to one year. The next, these are all complementary bills, is Senate Bill 63. It adds 53 new misdemeanor and felony charges, including unlawful assembly. And that would require posting a cash or property bail to gain release from pretrial detention, meaning that if you were arrested for unlawful assembly, you are going to, you don't get out on a signature bond. You have to actually put up cash or property. The other is House Bill 500. This creates a new category of felony that's more severe than first degree arson if you set fire to a police vehicle. So there's already first degree arson. This would elevate and create another category. And the punishment for setting fire to a police vehicle would range from five to 20 years in prison and or up to a $100,000 fine. And the thought behind that is that police vehicles cost about that much to outfit. So first, let, let's listen to some remarks on House Bill 505. Uh, these are remarks from the House floor from Representative Omari Crawford from DeKalb. He is a newly elected state rep, young guy in his 30s. Take a listen to this. Some of my colleagues, one in particular, just spoke about what this bill could do to impact protest, which is essential to our democracy and the fundamental First Amendment right. Indeed, I agree with his testimony and analysis. However, this bill could have far more detrimental consequences in the lives of other everyday Georgians. It won't only impact protesters, but it could impact others. How do I know this? because case law tells me so. If we determine, if we want to determine how an amended bill will impact the people, all we have to do is look at what the original bill has done in the past. And we don't have to look too far. Our Georgia Court of Appeals previously held that there was sufficient evidence to charge teenagers under this same statute because of their involvement in proximity to a neighborhood fight. In this particular case, a group of kids got upset with one another, exchanged words, and exchanged blows after those words. And this drew a crowd. Now that's nothing too uncommon from any of our districts. Unfortunately, kids engage in fighting. But what this case law held is that multiple kids involved, even as spectators, were charged under a misdemeanor at the time of inciting a riot and participating in a riot. And so now we're about to increase the penalty for neighborhood fights amongst our kids. Doing so would be disastrous, but I get it. Some of you all are thinking to yourselves that your child isn't the one that's fighting, right? Well, the court's analysis wasn't that simple. It didn't solely focus on the kids involved in the fight. What the court held 
is that because essential elements of inciting a riot were in pertinent part, engaging in conduct which urges or advises others to riot or fight, a child preventing someone from breaking up a fight, urging someone to fight, or simply being a bystander could also result in a felony charge should this bill pass. Surely I'm not advocating that our youth engage in confrontation, but if our teenagers, your teenagers, have a lapse in judgment and be involved in or potentially be in proximity of a confrontation, they could face a felony charge, which will have a negative result on their life trajectory. Now, proponents of this bill may rely on what they deem to be prosecutorial discretion. And that's a way of them saying that a prosecutor would have the ability to charge someone for any act. But the biggest downside of prosecutorial discretion is that it often results in selective prosecution. And so a prosecutor's personal beliefs and biases, whether conscious or unconscious, can creep into their decisions. And like always, the poor minorities we know will be impacted. But House Bill 505 could also negatively impact others outside of the poor and minorities. Multiple kids can be vulnerable. A child watching a fight, which many of us have probably done in the past, could be detained for up to a year. Think about that. And I know that we oftentimes choose sides in the people's house, but immaturity is bipartisan. So that's just a bit of how far reaching this bill is. And then there's another, a little bit more back and forth from House members that I think is worth listening to. Protest, which is essential to. For what purpose does Representative Bruce rise? Parliamentary inquiry. State your inquiry. Is it not true that if my brother and I, who happen to have a common interest, were out protesting and someone attacked us because they didn't agree with us, and we defended ourselves and it turned out to be a pretty bloody fight, that I would now go from self-defense to a felony under this bill. If the gentleman so states, I'm sure that's how he understands the bill. For what purpose does Chairman Chokas rise? Parliamentary inquiry. State your inquiry. Mr. Speaker, we have been talking about violence. And isn't it true that one of our two Nobel Peace Prize winners, the Reverend Martin, Dr. Luther, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King said, nonviolence is a powerful and just weapon which cuts without wounding and ennobles the man who wields it. It is a sword that heals. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I'm sure the gentleman believes everything he just said he also forgot to mention the quote from Dr. Martin Luther King that says, the riot is the voice of the unheard. Okay, now back to the next one. For what purpose does she rise? Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Parliamentary inquiry? State your inquiry. 
Is it not true that the words property and business do not appear anywhere in this bill, and the best way to protect peaceful protesters is to vote no on this bill? If the lady so states, I'm sure she believes that. For what purposes represent Representative Montahan rise? Parliamentary inquiry, Mr. Speaker. State your inquiry. Isn't it true that this bill would prevent the all too common occurrence of a violent rider being arrested before lunch and released on bail in time for dinner? Well, I'm sure the gentleman states that's, that's his reading of the bill. <laughs> so what you're hearing is the Speaker of the House uh, allowing Democratic and Republican uh, House members to provide a parliamentary inquiry before they vote on the bill. And so this is common. You'll have, they'll do one Dem, one Republican, one Dem, one Republican, and then they'll vote. Um, the next thing is there's some back and forth on House Bill 500. That's the one about arson of a police vehicle. Uh, take a listen to this. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Does the gentlelady yield? I do. Um, I'm curious, isn't arson already a crime in Georgia? Yes, it is. So what exactly is this bill doing that is not already done in the state of Georgia? Well, again, as I, as I was trying to explain, Representative Clark, because these vehicles are increasingly hard to replace and are increasingly more expensive, I think it's important that we have a special crime for this because this is taking a car that, our, that are, is our policeman's primary tool out of service. And many counties may only have two or three patrol cars at their disposal. And so you're not only just taking a car out of service, you're taking a tool that is protecting people, many, many people, um, out of service. Thank you. Thank you. And then one last clip. Uh, I, I was baffled when I heard this one. Listen. Chairman Powell to your right, Chairman Allen Powell. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Will the lady yield? I will. Under your bill, is it not true that when someone sets fire, deliberately sets fire to a police vehicle, that's almost synonymous to attacking a police officer? I would agree. Further yield? Yes. Is it not also true that this sends a stronger message? I, I, was, I was really baffled by that one. Uh, setting fire to a police vehicle when there's no police officers in the vehicle or immediately next to the vehicle is not an attack on a police officer. Uh, unless I'm missing something. <laughs> I, I, I didn't get that one. Um, the last uh, bill that I want to mention is Senate Bill 140, uh, which would ban, horm which will ban because it passed, uh, hormone replacement therapy and gender-affirming care for minors who wish to transition. Take a listen to some discussion on the bill. The intent of the bill to help kids. It's like the kids are just going to like walk into the doctor's office and say, hey, please do this to me. Where are the parents? I 
I believe that you mean well, but this is wrong. To all the children in our state that are going to be negatively impacted, please don't lose hope. Please don't give up. Please don't kill yourself. This world is worth it. We need you. So that was Representative Carla Drenner, who was one of the few LGBT members of the State House. Um, and she mentioned suicide because suicide rates amongst uh, youth who are struggling with their gender their gender identity or or whatnot um, rates are very high compared to not youth who are not struggling with that so the bill was going to allow them to do it without parental no 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 the bill now bans it regardless of parental consent so before you could do it Correct. with parental consent? Correct. Wow. It's like, it's like, I wonder what the numbers were on that. Like how it's many people are doing it? Yeah. yeah. So I pulled national data. This is what's so fascinating to me about how Republicans have kind of latched onto transgender with, specifically with the youth transgendering or, or transitioning. The national data shows that over the last five years, there were about 5,000 young people who started on puberty blockers. There are millions of kids in America. This is nationwide. This yes, is, not this just is Georgia. national data. Wow. There are millions and millions of kids. Yes. I mean, like you're talking about, I don't know, one, a couple of percentage points, maybe. Like 100 kids of, a state. Right. Like uh, the whole state, just 100 kids did it. That's like one kid per county or yeah, per it's, city not, or it's, it's not it's not it's not a lot. I think the other thing is it's expensive, right? And so what ha- what is often happening, the other the another part of this is doctors are not doing this unless there has been a, a medical um psychological diagnosis of that child. A child cannot go to their parent one day and say, I want gender affirming surgery and immediately go to the doctor and receive gender affirming surgery. It just doesn't work that way. Yes. It's pretty weird. But I think, yeah, I mean, this is one of those culture war issues. And if you think about, you know, there's this, I don't know, there's just an assumption that if your kid is doing this, that they're like the whole world is going to go up into flames. <laughs> I don't know. Like you don't have to be for it at yeah, all. I, I just think as long as you can't subvert the parents, then right. keep the bill in place. Now, once you're 18, leave with right. an adult. I agree. Do what you want to do. Do what you want to do. But, you know, if you and your parent are having it out and y'all just can't come to the, you know, <laughs> then you got to wait a couple years. Yeah, I agree. I yeah. don't think a, a child should be able to have this type of surgery without parental consent. And then I just really hate, I, I don't know. I, I just, I just hate politics. Cause it's like, okay, well, if you're that worried, why not increase funding for school counselors? So if that right, parent, we if, talked about last, if, if yeah. we are battling with it and you can't talk to me, 
you can talk to somebody who right. will keep you alive at least for the next couple of years and say, hey, look, let's save up some money when you're 18. Blah, blah, blah. But like, it's, you know, it's like fake uh, selective outrage. That's Correct. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that is just a, a little bit of what has happened in the Georgia General Assembly. The session is rapidly coming to an end. I don't know what the the fallout is going to be for some of these bills. Um, you know, like like the the gender one, I imagine transgender care. I imagine that means there will be a number of parents who if they have kids who are maybe too young to have this or they're still having a conversation about it but they haven't put anything in motion, does that mean those parents pack up and go to a state where they are able to provide that type of care for their children. I, I imagine that's what's going to happen. Um, and then the anti-riot thing, I, I really don't think people realize what the impact of that will be, which I'll talk about a little bit later. One scenario where I could see it blowing back. How close is that to passing? Did that it passed. Also, the so I know, 500 and 505. I know 500 passed. I believe 505 passed as well. Oh, so it's already there. Right. And so now, so the only question is, are the, have, do any of these bills need to go back to the other chamber? So that's one question. I mm-hmm. don't think so. And then the governor, you know, will sign it um, later this year. My last question for you, move on. Okay, so the governor signs it, right? right? Republicans are in charge. Cool. Hype, you know, scenario where Democrats do take over and you do get a new mm-hmm. p- person in power. They could just repeal that law, right? Uh, it's like rewrite a new Yeah, so I, the governor, I don't know if the governor can veto, if a bill has already been passed into law, because at that point, it will already be law. I don't know what would the process be for a new governor to try to repeal. No, I'm saying you get Democrats in charge and they just write a new house, a new bill but, to yeah. combat the one that That's just That's possible, but it's going to take time. So so let's say best case scenario for Democrats in four years, they elect a Democrat wins the governor's race. Mm-hmm. Right now, the numbers does not look like Democrats would actually win the state house, so they would only win the uh, they would only win the governor's race, but they wouldn't win the house or senate. Right, so right now Republicans control the house, the senate, and the governor's mansion. Mm-hmm. So you need you need power in one of the other two to really transform. Now, the governor, what the governor could do, a Democratic governor could veto legislation. That's passed by the the House and Senate. Yeah, but then, like you said, it already be law. So right. Well, I'm saying in a new session, a Democratic governor could veto legislation that is passed that that governor might disagree with. Oh, oh, legislation. No, new legislation. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, really, so there's no yeah, right now, I mean, yeah, it's this. Yeah. So, is there anything that people can do? That's what I always ask you. Um, I always believe in still expressing your point of view, even if the even if the legislation has already passed, that's fine to still be on the record and let your representative know, hey, I disagree with this for this reasons. Mm-hmm. And then when something happens, 
I think people need to communicate. Here's the impact of your bill, right? So your inability to think long-term and thoughtfully about a piece of legislation here, here's how it's actually impacted me. Here's a real world scenario. And then see if there's some interest or momentum to change the law. Yeah. I mean, this is the, the legislative session is always a reminder of why every election matters, but also why redistricting matters. Because what happens is you draw seats that are safe Republican or safe Democrat, and you, you're not able to have a real authentic conversation because everything is partisan. And I'm just doing what my constituents want me to do because all my constituents are Republican. Right. I, I get it. I get it. I don't know. I don't know what to do now. It's like, yeah, I, I just you can't just, protest. <laughs> well, this fellow. You get, right. You know, you get too high. Yeah. Or, or the other way is to absolutely protest and say, you make it to a point. This is what happened in Iran. Mm. I remember when the women were cutting their hair. Yeah. yeah. And it was so many women that. Logistically, there was no way they were going to be able to arrest everyone. And so you, in the words of Steve Bannon, you flood the zone. Yeah. That holds your prosecutors accountable for this selective, you know, uh, what do they call it? Yeah. And I mean, that might be what happens is Democratic prosecutors may quietly decide not to enforce the law. Uh, But you know, that doesn't mean that the attorney general wouldn't go after you. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting times. I thought I learned something right here, y'all. Hey, there we go. That's the whole point of the pot. Um, all right, so let's pivot to some national stuff. Uh, 2024 watch, always something to talk about. I cannot believe that in less than a year... Folks are going to be voting in the primaries for president of the United States. Ah, oh, my God. <laughs> um, so Ron DeSantis had his first mistake, his first boo-boo. Uh, so Fox News, uh, Tucker Carlson from Fox News, sent a questionnaire to the Republican presidential candidates, and he asked them six questions about the war between Russia and Ukraine. Uh, take a listen to this snippet from Tucker's show. So former President Donald Trump, who as of tonight is the front runner for the Republican nomination, sent a long and really interesting response. Russia would never have attacked Ukraine if I were president, he writes, not even a small chance. Trump says he opposes regime change in Russia. Quote, we should support regime change in the United States. That's far more important. The Biden administration are the ones who got us into this mess. Trump repeatedly refers to the risk of nuclear war, which he describes as absolutely real, And then he calls for a negotiated peace by Ukraine mediated by the United States. Quote, both sides are weary and ready to make a deal, Trump writes. The meeting should start immediately. There is no time to spare. Death and destruction must end now. Trump has been saying things like this and predicting this for five years now. And he's saying it again. DeSantis is adamantly opposed to the position that most Republicans in Washington have taken on Ukraine. DeSantis is not a neocon. Who knew? Quote, While the U.S. has many vital national interests, DeSantis writes, securing our borders, addressing the crisis of readiness within our military, achieving energy security and independence, and checking the economic, cultural, and military power of the Chinese Communist Party, 
becoming further entangled in a territorial dispute between Ukraine and Russia is not one of them. Without question, he writes, peace should be the objective. The U.S. should not provide assistance that could require the deployment of American troops or enable Ukraine to engage in offensive operations beyond its borders. F-16s and long-range missiles should therefore be off the table. These moves would risk explicitly drawing the United States into the conflict and drawing us closer to a hot war between the world's two largest nuclear powers. That risk is unacceptable. DeSantis goes on to oppose the pol policy of regime change in Moscow, which is very popular in Washington, and he points out that the Biden administration has created an alliance between Russia and China, and that's a disaster for the United States. Quote, we cannot prioritize intervention in an escalating foreign war over the defense of our own homeland, especially as tens of thousands of Americans are dying every year from narcotics smuggled across our open border and our weapons arsenals, critically for our own security, are rapidly being depleted. Okay, so the gist of you tuned out, Tucker Carlson, the gist of this is that DeSantis is called the war in Ukraine a quote-unquote territorial dispute, uh, which even the Wall Street Journal's editorial board said that he might regret that. And they called it flirting with GOP isolationism, isolationism and um, encouraged him to take the Ronald Reagan peace through strength approach. Uh, quite a few Republican lawmakers were, um, I'd say maybe miffed by DeSantis and his foreign policy uh, point of view on Ukraine. Take a listen to these comments from a variety of Republicans at, in Washington. I think he's mistaken, and I hope he reconsiders. Um, but, but it is troubling, yes. I mean, could you see yourself supporting someone who has this kind of position? I, I would prefer to have a president that uh, understands that what happens in Europe vitally affects us. I think this is a much bigger issue than a territorial dispute. I can't imagine what Xi Jinping or or uh, the leadership in Iran would think if, if we took that course of action. So, um, by the way, President Xi of China is making a state visit to Russia, and then Vladimir Putin just visited Ukraine. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Um, back to 24, a couple of other things. Uh, some of the Republican presidential candidate hopefuls spoke in South Carolina at the Palmetto Family Council's Vision 24 Council. Yeah, South Carolina. So take a listen to this clip from Senator Tim Scott. He has not yet declared, uh, but he is obviously the only black male Republican in the state Senate and in, in the uh, U.S. Senate who is a Republican um, and he could very well be a contender. Take a listen to this. Because we're spending more time trying to teach some kids because of the color of their skin. If you're white, you must be an oppressor. And if you're black or brown, you are the oppressed. You are the victim. There is this thing in America today where the radical left, they are literally trying to get folks hooked on the drug of victimhood and the narcotic of despair. It's ruining America. He 
also talked about his family upbringing. And I think this is what is going to really engender him with, uh, with white voters. I don't know about black voters. And one of the most impressive patriots was my granddaddy. Born in 1921 in Little Sally, South Carolina, in a very, very different South, a Jim Crow South. But my grandfather believed then, in the 1930s, what some doubt now. He believed in the goodness of what America would one day be. That is so important. That having faith in America doesn't mean we always get it right. Believing that our founding fathers were geniuses doesn't mean they were perfect. I'm standing here to tell you they weren't. But I'm also here telling you, you have to see the whole story. You got to tell the whole story. My grandfather, born in 1921, in third grade, he was already out of school because there was no need for an educated black guy in those days. So he started picking cotton. When we moved into his house when I was seven years old, many years later, he looked at me and said, Timmy, you can be bitter or you can get better, but you can't be both. That man taught me to be better. Better because I was free. Better because I could think. Better because I could work. He said, you must be better. And the beautiful thing of the story, God's a genius, by the way. The man who had to stop school to pick cotton lived long enough to watch his grandson pick out a seat in Congress. That's America. That's the America I love. You know, when I listened to that, it kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, Michelle Obama and her how she has talked about her family and her her upbringing and her belief in the American dream. But I think Democrats will hear that. They will hear Tim Scott and just like be repulsed. I I it's I I don't I don't I have not yet met a black Republican who has been able to really thread the needle with black folks black Democrats and really get them to consider like truly consider voting Republican. What was the, uh, the head of the RNC? Oh, um, cause that's the yeah. way after they kicked them out, Michael Steele, Michael Steele, after they kicked them out. Yeah. After they kicked him out, <laughs> that's of- when he became like real, yeah. right? Before he was just saying the party line. Yeah. And that's the, like, I'm curious to find a republic, a black Republican who's re- like be real. Colin Powell, there was there was a swell of like black people because they you haven't heard him talk yet. Yeah, he so if he would have yeah. said the wrong thing, you would have lost it right then. But because he didn't talk yet, right, it was like oh well, we want to change, but because I think that's really the biggest issue with it. Black people do, especially black men. They do look at the Republican Party like a viable party, but then when you start talking, you're not telling the whole story. So then it's right. like I can't. 
I, I can't do this in good conscience. You right. know what I'm saying? If I really care about other issues. But in general, I think a lot of issues line up. It's just the mindset, mm-hmm. you know? So I think, Tim, if you listen to his full speech, it seems to me like he's trying to figure out how to thread that needle of both saying I'm against critical race theory, but I also acknowledge that my grandfather left school because a black, an educated black man was not deemed necessary in America at that time, right? I don't know. I'm curious to see what he does if... And he says something that I don't think people picked up either. What's that? They moved back into his grandfather's yes. house. Yes. So how was a man that had to pick cotton? Was <clears> able to. Able of, yes. Yeah, so mm-hmm. where's that? Right. In there. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? So maybe if you speak to black economic issues, then maybe you could still pull some people in. Right. Know? But at this rate, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So when he ends his speech, uh, a lady in the audience, he's like shaking hands with people. His his mic is still alive. It's still hot. And a lady in the audience says to him, you remind me of Ronald Reagan. <laughs> so if he gets that, I'm now granted he's in South Carolina, so he's at home. But if he gets that across the country, there might be, he might have a shot. Or he would at least be considered an incredibly credible candidate. So I don't know. So South Carolina, you've got Tim Scott and you got Nikki Haley both running. And Nikki Haley's story is also kind of similar. She does the same thing, but I, I don't know. If I if I look at the two of them, who do I think people would be more inclined to vote for? Tim Scott or Nikki Haley? Tim Scott, because of misogyny. At yeah. the end of the day, they still won't pick the woman. Jeez. And if you know he's viable, and you got the Ronald Reagan, Ronald Reagan right. appeal, yeah. yeah. They'll if you had to pick, they'll go that way. Doggone. And <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, save it for the Patreon. <laughs> oh man, so. Stay tuned. I'll try to do 2024 updates kind of regularly as we get closer and closer. Um, just so you can see kind of the trajectory of this of this campaign over the course of two years. Um, all right. One thing we got to talk about, of course, is what's next for banking. So last week we talked about the federal government coming in to save Silicon Valley Bank. Um, they did more than what was initially discussed. Uh, One person who has been consistently vocal about regulating banks is Senator Elizabeth Warren from Massachusetts. So Sunday she was on the ABC political uh, show, and here's what she had to say about Silicon Valley Bank and just generally the industry. Joining us now is Senator Elizabeth Warren, a member of the Senate Banking Committee. Good morning, uh, Senator Warren. Thank you for joining us. So uh, Good ask, morning. Good to be with you. Great to have you. You heard Secretary Yellen say that she uh, has confidence that the banking system is sound, although this week we saw troubles with yet another bank, First Republic Bank, getting a $30 billion lifeline uh, from some of the larger banks. Are you as confident as the secretary that the banking system is sound? Well, 
if I can, let me describe what I see as the problem. Mm -hmm. Starting back in 2016 or so, these multi-billion dollar banks that like SVB, in fact, Gary Becker, the CEO of SVB, came to Washington and kept saying, lighten the regulations on us. We're just like tiny little banks, so ease up on the regulations. Donald Trump then ran for president, promising he would ease up on the regulations on these multi-billion dollar banks. He then was elected president, and he put in a lot of regulators who eased up on banking regulations. Trump then went to Congress, and he said, let's ease up even more, and with the help of both parties, passed uh, laws to roll back on regulations and open the door to easing up even more. Then Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Fed, stepped up and took a flamethrower to the regulations, saying, I'm doing this because Congress let me do it. And what happened was exactly what we should have predicted. And that is the banks, these big multi-billion dollar banks loaded up on risk. They boosted their short-term profits. They gave themselves huge bonuses and big salaries, and they exploded their banks. And so where we stand now is now the federal government's got to step back in and back up these multi-billion dollar banks. And I think the it, there's two halves to this. One half is the government is clearly doing that, but there are a lot of people who are saying, gee, if they've been so lightly regulated for such a long period, it's important to look under the hood. So and see what's happening with the other banks. So I, I want to ask you about, about that deregulatory push and your effort to try to get some of those regulations mm -hmm. back in place. But first, over the weekend, have you had any conversations with regulators about additional banks at risk of failing? I, I'm not going to talk about private conversations, uh, but I think, let, let me be clear about what I'm calling for right now. Um, I'm calling for an independent investigation of the Fed and the whole regulatory system here. The Fed doesn't just get to do its own investigation. I'm calling for the Fed right now to reverse its weakened regulations and to bear down, to look at these banks with much more scrutiny. And then I'm also calling on Congress, as you rightly say, to roll back the ability of the Fed to weaken regulations and calling for these CEOs to be held accountable so that we have laws in place to get clawbacks of their bonuses, of their giant salaries. And when you explode a bank, you ought to be banned from banking forever. Oh, yeah, she went there. <laughs> um, so my thoughts on this is if the U.S. government, like, to her point, does not actively go after the leadership who enables this behavior, then we are going to have a repeat of the 2007 and 8 financial crisis. And I think if we thought 2011 Occupy Wall Street, uh, if you remember that, the Occupy Wall Street movement was big, I think it will be small potatoes compared to what the future could hold. Ultimately, people have to believe in the system. And that is why things were so fragile in America, yes, but also across the globe. The Swiss government just stepped in to save Credit Suisse. Uh, First Republic Bank, this happened last week. Uh, First Republic Bank out of South, uh, France, uh, San Francisco, rather, received $30 billion in deposits from 
the major banks, J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Citigroup, and Truist. If they hadn't done that, you would be hearing about, about First Republic Bank the same way as you've heard about Silicon Valley Bank. Dang. And then the Midsize Bank Coalition of America, which is a coalition of, mid, obviously, midsize regional banks, they have asked regulators to extend FDIC insurance for all deposits, no matter their size, for the next two years. So they are basically asking the federal government to do for them what the federal government has done for Silicon Valley Bank for the next two years. There's already FDIC insurance, but they're now they're asking for, forget the cap, we want unlimited insurance. Imagine that happening in any other sector. <laughs> unlimited insurance. So what does this mean for capitalism? Watching this made me think of a 2020 clip from Real Time with Bill Maher, and it features Scott Galloway, who's a prolific podcaster. He's a, he's a really interesting perspective, um, and he's a professor. Take a listen to this clip. Capitalism is hands down the best system of its kind. What young people are seeing today, it's not capitalism. We have rugged individualism on the way up, and then we have, we're all in this together on the way down, and we have socialism. Capitalism on the way up, where five CEOs of airline companies make 150 million bucks, use all their excess cash flow to buy back stocks so they can artificially inflate their own compensation, and then shit gets real and a pandemic comes, and they don't have any money, and all of a sudden, we're in this together. When you have capitalism on the way up, and you have socialism on the way down, I'm not done yet. And then you have socialism on the way down. That's not capitalism or socialism. It is cronyism. It is the worst of all worlds. Capitalism, capitalism is full body contact violence at a corporate level so we can create prosperity and progress that rests on a bed of empathy. We have flipped the script here. We need to be more loving and empathetic with people and more harsh on companies. Capitalism, we are protecting, we should be protecting people, not companies. Fucking Delta, burn, baby, burn. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you had kids around, I'm sorry for the expletives. <laughs> um, but that was in, that was right, if you recall, all of the airlines were asking the federal government to bail them out because people stopped traveling, obviously, because of the pandemic. But the airlines had done all these stock buybacks, right? And so it's the same thing that has happened on the financial side where you had the leadership at SVB giving themselves, uh, you know, incentives and bonuses, knowing that it was only a matter of time before the house of cards fell. Um, so I'm with Elizabeth Warren on this. Um, I, I think we've got to figure out how to get folks back to the point, uh, to the place where they can believe in the system. Because this has impact across the board. When I see this happening, I think to myself, all right, I need to be far more mindful of my spending. I need to think about what assets I have where, right? To what extent is the American dollar still strong? Like these are all the things folks are considering as they watch what is happening and think about what happened in 2007 and eight. All right. On to someone who I get tired of talking about, but I'm going to have to talk about him. Unfortunately, you guessed it, Donald Trump. Um, so it's Tuesday. 
The question is, will Trump be arrested today, right? Pod comes out on Tuesday. We're taping on Sunday. So he took to Truth Social, the his social media network, uh, and he said last week that he would be arrested Tuesday in relation to the Manhattan District Attorney's investigation into his hush payment uh, to porn star Stormy Daniels. If you remember, Trump's former attorney, Michael Cohen, was convicted on federal campaign finance law violations and went to jail, but nothing ever happened to Trump. So Trump message, put, puts this out and he says to his supporters, quote, protest, take our nation back. If that doesn't sound familiar. <laughs> so <laughs> do you remember something called January 6th? Um, now, there, that's, there's that investigation, but there's also the Fulton County District Attorney's investigation. So last week we found out there was a call. We knew about the call between Trump and Brad Raffensperger, right, the Secretary of State. Now we find out about a call between Trump and the Speaker of the House at the time, David Ralston. So in that call, Trump was pushing for Ralston to call for a special session of the Georgia General Assembly to overturn the election results. It was a 10 minute call. They did not release the full audio of that. So the question is, will Trump be arrested? Uh, who knows? I don't know. It, you know, some folks are speculating that he wants to be arrested and he wants it to happen publicly where people actually see him being cuffed uh, because it will boost his campaign. And it will boost small dollar donations because people see him as a political martyr, effectively. Um, what's so crazy to me is him saying to protest and take our nation back and all that. I think about what if he doesn't get arrested Tuesday, but what if he gets arrested after these anti-riot bills become law? <laughs> and all the people who protests are going to be charged with rioting because it's two or more people and they could say that it's unlawful assembly. There you go. Blowback. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Full circle. <laughs> right. <laughs> Man. And then one last thing. Um, I, I, I'm not on TikTok, but I know a lot of folks are and a lot of people younger than me are on TikTok. Uh, the CEO of TikTok will testify in Congress this week at a hearing entitled TikTok, How Congress Can Safeguard American Data Privacy and Protect Children from Online Harms. So uh, there are two Senate bills up for discussion. One would create a process for the White House to ban a platform like TikTok. The other would be an outright ban period of TikTok. Uh, the company, as you probably already know, is owned by a Chinese company. TikTok is owned by ByteDance, which is a Chinese company, uh, and that means it is affiliated with the Communist China Communist Party, the CCP. Uh, so the White House has been pushing for ByteDance to sell the company, but then there's this conversation, there's question about you can sell the company but not sell the actual algorithm, which is the real asset, right? So... If you remember when Trump was president, he threatened to ban TikTok. Uh, they did not sell to an American company. He was successful in banning Huawei, uh, their expansion into the U.S. market. Huawei is essentially like the Chinese version of Apple, incredibly popular, um, and also far much 
much more affordable. Their devices are much more affordable compared to Apple. Uh, just one last thing about TikTok. So last year, ByteDance, the parent company, spent $5.4 million on federal lobbying. Uh, and that, yeah, because they knew, right, this started under Trump administration and has kind of continued. Um, but I think, was it Apple and Google still had them beat on the amount of money that they spent on federal lobbying, which is a whole nother thing. <laughs> All right, on to party poopers and party starters. I, you know, I was thinking about who should be the party pooper. I'm inclined to say, um, uh, well, I guess all of them really Republicans in the Georgia general assembly who have passed legislation that I think was not done with real thought and care in consideration for the ramifications of the legislation. So if you think about these anti-riot bills and what that means for first um, the First Amendment and freedom of speech, if you think about, even if you don't agree with it at all, but if you think about the impact on the youth transgender bills, that's another one, right? You have to think about how does this impact people? How does my legislation, my actions as a Georgia General Assembly House of Representatives or Senate uh, individual, how is that impacting people? And I, they're just, it's very clear that that is not the motivation. Um, at, at least it doesn't seem like it's the motivation to me. We're talking about on the transgender thing, we're talking about a tiny, tiny, tiny uh, piece of the, a, a number of people in, in the state of Georgia. Um, on a much more positive note, my party starter is Minnesota Governor Tim Walz. Why? Because he signed into law that public school students will receive free breakfast and lunch no matter of their parents' income. So Minnesota is now the fourth state in the country to provide free meals to students. It's really hard, as you know. Think about for yourself as an adult. When I'm hungry, I get hangry, <laughs> right? I'm not just hungry, I'm hangry. So if you think about the impact on kids of being hungry and trying to learn no kid in the United States should have this issue. So I think it's great uh, that they're getting free breakfast and lunch. And it's so funny, hearing about this reminded me of a congressman in Georgia, who a Republican congressman in Georgia, who once said kids who could not afford lunch should clean the cafeteria. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, come on. Yeah, I do remember that. That's yeah. crazy crazy so kudos to you uh governor tim walls and hopefully other uh states will pay attention to this if you think about child well-being improving test scores readying the next generation of americans this is the type of stuff that you should be paying attention to and the type of legislation you should be passing 
So, great. All right, y'all, that is today's show. Our next show will be a recap, I, I guess, of everything that has happened in the Georgia General Assembly. Um, assuming I have my dates right, because I believe crossover day should be the end of this week. If it's not, then we'll have to do that two weeks from now. Um, we didn't talk about Cop City, but not a whole lot has changed on that. I will mention briefly one thing that I thought was interesting, and there hasn't been a lot of conversation about it, but Mayor Andre Dickens had a sit-down dinner with Governor Kemp and Kelly Leffler about, I'm assuming, Cop City. <laughs> kind of an interesting aside. Um, <laughs> Is it like recorded and you can watch it? No, 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 no. This oh, was a private stated. dinner that mm. somehow people found out about which if i were him i would be on my team like there's no reason that that should have leaked uh it's a, it's the reason why it leaks i mean clearly someone was it was an intentional leak but i'm i'm assuming it's an intentional leak but like what the heck are you doing the valet really? the valet was like oh <laughs> no it was no it was at her house Oh, that's even worse. Yeah, so it was like there was no reason for there was really, if you think about an organization like in the political structure, there's no reason for that to have leaked. Yeah, nosy neighbors. Right, something. <laughs> maybe, maybe it was Bill White, the the guy behind Buckhead City. Maybe he was yeah, mad yeah. at Andre and he did it. <laughs> yeah. All right, y'all, that is this week's show. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. We appreciate it. And until next time, you know what to do. Tell your friends, tell your family to listen to Where the Party At. Take care. Bye.